when um, I got to work one day and my intern who was white and at a small Christian school out here came to work crying saying, you know, all the black and brown students are requesting that our president resigns, that our teachers are fired. And she mentioned that students were telling white students, students of color were telling white students that they could not speak that they should not have a voice in the conversation of social justice or racism or anything like that. And the Lord just really began to break down a lot of my paradigm. I began to pray. I began to ask the Lord, you know, what's going on? Is something wrong with what I'm seeing? Or do white people need to just have thicker skin and understand the reality? And I would say within maybe six months, eight months, I feel like my entire paradigm had been just brought to nothing. Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy Coleman, your host, and today on this episode, we are joined by a special guest, Monique Dusan. Monique is the founder and president for the Center for Biblical Unity. Monique has a background in children's ministry, global missions work, and social service. She has worked with a diverse array of underserved communities, and she has also worked as a missionary in South Africa for over four years. Now, Monique spent two decades as an advocate for critical race theory, but now works on developing unity in the body of Christ based on a more biblical framework. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is this view of critical race theory, not just as something that's going on in conversations around us, but Monique is somebody who has actually been an advocate. She advocated the tenets of critical race theory for a long time, but ended up walking away from that. And it's, it's such a fascinating perspective that she offers um, and that she can speak to us as Christians who are trying to make sense of all of this. So with all of that set up, Monique, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Hi, nice to meet you and glad to be here. It's good to have you, and we're excited to hear a little bit about you. You know, I introduced your background briefly, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and your background? Well, I am born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I spent the first 15, 16 years of my life in South Central Los Angeles and then moved up to a suburb in North Hollywood and spent the rest of my adult life in the North Hollywood, San Fernando Valley area until 2014 when I moved to Cape Town, South Africa. I lived actually just outside of Cape Town area called Stellenbosch and Somerset West. And I was there for about four and a half years. And then I came back in 2018. 
and have really just had the opportunity to do a deep dive into what's happening in culture right now, not because I necessarily wanted to, but because it was more of just the Lord's directing. I have, like you said, a background in social service and children's ministry. And so taking a dive into issues of race, justice, and unity wasn't really on my radar, but it was the Lord's plan. Right. Well, and here at the Christian Emergency Alliance, we care deeply about these issues, that we involve theology, that involve missions, and also pressure that may come against the church. So you having that experience as a missionary, too, I'm really excited to to look into that a little bit. But I, I also sense that for people that have experience in cross-cultural missions who have served in other cultural contexts— it's eye-opening, and it also helps you come back home and look at things and be like, wow, there's things that pop out at me that I didn't appreciate before. This is really good content for us. Why don't you tell me a little bit how you first encountered critical race theory? Well, I generally say that I was kind of just born into it. I feel like many of the tenets or words that people hear that are associated with critical race theory have largely just been topics of conversation in many urban areas among many African-Americans. I know this is an audio only podcast. I am African-American. And so, so people know a little bit about me and um, I guess my ethnic background. And so for me, it wasn't a thing of, um, you know, a different way of thinking. It was just always kind of the same rhetoric. And when I got to Biola and I did my undergrad in sociology, what I learned were statistics that proved what I had heard on the street. Now, the statistics don't necessarily have to prove what I learned on the street. The data doesn't necessarily have to support that rhetoric, but it was used to support that rhetoric, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I know in this conversation, and for our listeners, some of them may just be learning about critical race theory. This might be uh, the first time that they're really digging in. For others, it's been a topic of conversation now for the better part of a year for a lot of people, as this has really cropped up on the public scene. But it's so important for us to define our terms and know what we're talking about, just so that we're on the same plane and not talking past one another. Would you just help us out and describe or define critical race theory and also, uh, at the same time, maybe what it is to be woke. We are hearing that term a lot, you know, what it is to be woke. Could you spell that out for us? Yeah, so I'll start with to be woke. Um, woke is a word that we've heard probably since 2000, I'd say between 13 and like 15. Um, it came out or gained um, momentum around, goodness, there was a movie, Um I can't not even think of the name of the movie, but there was a song associated with this movie called Stay Woke. And it was really just staying aware of these social injustices that are around you. So I am woke or quote unquote awakened to the issues that are happening in culture regarding oppressed and marginalized people. I am no longer sleeping to my privilege, sleeping to injustice and things like that. So that's what it really means to be woke. It means to be aware of what's happening around you in regards to, to justice issues or injustice. Got it. 
Now, to talk about critical race theory and what is critical race theory, I would say in the basic layman's terms, critical race theory is a framework that looks into society and looks at how people are being marginalized, especially when it comes to areas of race and law or race and judicial justice issues. So what? how is um, my ethnicity, my race, playing an integral role in me being um, quote unquote oppressed in the legal system? So critical race theory came out of the critical legal studies. And I actually have the critical race theory and introduction book. I love this book because it's one, it's old. It's written by um, two very prominent people in the conversation of critical race theory. And they actually give a very simple introduction or definition into what critical race theory is. And it says just right at the top, what is critical race theory? Critical race theory or CRT is a movement or it says the critical race theory movement is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. And as we unpack this a little bit, that's where we get some of the concepts or notions of things like white privilege or systemic racism, looking at power dynamics. How do we change the dynamics of power within our society so that people of color actually have institutional power. One of the definitions of racism right now is a thing of prejudice plus power or privilege plus power. Whereas, you know, if we were contrasting that with the definition that we saw 50 years ago, 50 years ago, the definition of racism would be, you know, some person who has prejudice in their hearts against a group of of people because of the color of their skin. So you think of the KKK. That would be a group of people who have prejudice in their heart or bias in their heart and they act out those things on other groups of people based on the color of their skin. Today, what that is or what racism is, is prejudice. So the ability to harbor what we biblically would call ethnic partiality, the ability to harbor that in your heart and the the institutional power. So many who uphold critical race theory would say that because I'm black, I can have prejudice in my heart, but this doesn't necessarily make me a racist in the technical sense of the term because I don't have the institutional power. And so that really means that like the majority are the ones that can be racist and those that aren't in the majority are really incapable of being labeled as a racist, even if they act in what appears to be flagrantly racist ways. Yes. So I just heard a sermon from someone and the crux of his definition on racism was that, you know, Black people, sure, we can have prejudice. I might call you out your name, but I don't have the power behind it to uphold a structure that would impact you in a way like that would be significantly detrimental. It's really fascinating. It's like you described. There's these themes of power dynamics Conflict theory is embedded in all of that, pitting different groups against different groups and seeing which one has the power. In many ways, it reads racism into circumstances. Um, You could look at a situation and not ask the question, was there racism in this event or this experience? 
Instead, it suggests where was the racism in this event. So these are all kind of new constructs for people to get their heads around, and it can be very disorienting, which is another reason I'm grateful for the clarity that you're able to bring to bear on this. Now, I I have had some recent encounters where some people will dismiss the dangers of critical race theory. And what they'll do is they'll point out that if you were to go to the normal person on the street or the normal person in your church, they'll argue, well, that individual is not very likely to even know what the term critical race theory is. They don't know it. They don't know what CRT is. So it's really not that big of a deal. There's no fire, and we really don't have anything to address. But I would submit those people, yeah, they might not know the academic term critical race theory or CRT, but they know that something's up. They know that something's different. They know all of a sudden they're being told to to check their privilege. They know all of a sudden that uh, their brother or sister who's serving in the police force is is being labeled as guilty of systemic racism for wearing the badge. They know something's not right. But let me cue that up to you. How would you address those types of dismissals for people that are trying to relegate this as something not important? Are we making much ado about nothing? No, we're not. I I wish I could like stand with a bullhorn from like some high mountain and warn people far and wide. One of the things that I believe critical race theory produces is a suspicion about everyone. It's no longer a thing where you're innocent until proven guilty, you know, in, in, in the bigger cultural narrative. You are now guilty until you can do the work to prove yourself innocent, number one. And then in the church where I am to believe all things, hopes all things, bear with one another in love, where I am to forgive, those things now get put to the back burner until you can acknowledge your complicity in racism and repent, you know, and do this work. I, in in many regards, should not trust you. I should see you as someone who is oppressive, even if you are unaware of your oppression and your your unawareness, so to speak, of your oppression is just continuing to oppress me. And so it changes our relationship from brother and sister where we can walk humbly together before our God. It, it changes it to a situation where now one is above or beneath the other. And I need to continually convince you or tell you of how, you know, you are participating in a way that is harming me, one, or two, where you need to continue to earn my favor, so to speak. And I know that critical race theory, to be fair to the, the framework itself, critical race theory does not say you need to continually, like Kendi says, always be doing works of anti-racism. Critical race theory itself is a framework, yet we have to be able to have larger conversations that are more nuanced to say, well, how is this playing out in our society? And in our society within the church, what we're seeing is almost just a blanket condemnation of anyone who's white, of anyone who, you know, quote unquote, has privilege. And everyone has privilege because right now, I mean, every white person has privilege because your privilege is attached to your skin color. Yep. So it's a long answer. Sorry. Yeah. No, but that's good because I agree. I think that uh, 
it's a mistake to dismiss this. I think it would be a mistake for pastors, for the shepherds, to think that this is some academic exercise that they don't need to address or consider in the context of their congregations. I don't know what the saying is, but if there's a, a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pews, that's something that we really have to be mindful of when it comes to this topic. Let me ask you this. So you described how for a good chunk of your life, you embraced the themes of CRT. What was it that made you start to question it? I started to question CRT after coming home. I came home just from South Africa thinking that everything was fine. I quickly learned that the political climate was extremely different than what I left. And that the racial conversation or the conversation on race was very blunt and in your face. I felt like things that I would only talk about, you know, maybe with other black friends or at at someone's home was just just out in the street everywhere, was on the news, people were writing about it. It was a lot different than than I left. And I started a friendship with my ministry partner and she began to question some of these things Mm -hmm. like, Hey, have you noticed this? Or what do you think about that? Thinking that I had more conservative views and I didn't. And so that led to many rough conversations between us. So I also started to have a shift in my thought when um, I got to work one day and my intern who was white and at a small Christian school out here came to work crying saying, you know, all the black and Brown students are requesting that our president resigns, that our teachers are fired. And she mentioned that students were telling white students, students of color were telling white students that they could not speak, that they should not have a voice in the conversation of social justice or racism or anything like that. And the Lord just really began to break down a lot of my paradigm. I began to pray. I began to ask the Lord, you know, what's going on? Is something wrong with what I'm seeing or do white people need to just have thicker skin and understand the reality? And I would say within maybe six months, eight months, I feel like my entire paradigm had been just brought to nothing. Now, because my paradigm had been brought to nothing doesn't mean that I was now just a complete advocate for anything non-critical race theory. I didn't really know what to think. And so God then had to rebuild my paradigm and my framework with the historic Christian um, worldview. What role did scripture play in that rebuilding phase? I am extremely thankful for scripture. I say that um, I had a pretty, quote unquote, progressive background or way of thinking about, about scripture and about God. But I also had a extreme appreciation for scripture. I just didn't know a lot of what I was missing. And so in, in looking at scripture and speaking with my ministry partner, Krista, who is a theologian, she has two master's degrees in theology. We began to really dig deep into scripture and look at what does, what is it really saying? What does it mean? What did these words mean in the Greek? I had conversations with people who uphold ancient faith. Christian traditions, like the the Coptic, um, which is one of the most ancient faiths. And so I, I began to understand that, you know, one, there were African Christians in the early church. 
you know, it, Christianity isn't a white man's religion. There were words in um, in the Greek that had completely different meaning than what I was understanding words to mean. And when you look at a chunk of scripture in context, it might not mean what I think it means. You know, like Micah 6, 8, do justice. Well, that isn't actually meaning what many people today are propping it up to mean. And so the fact that scripture does mean so much to me, mm-hmm. it it really helped to make this, I think, a lot more, um, a lot easier than what it could have been if it didn't. Well, and I think this is a great takeaway for anybody listening to this, regardless of what country you're listening in. We can be Bereans when we're confronted with these types of philosophies. Um, when we hear something, we can be like, what does the Bible say about that? Let's search the scripture and see if it speaks to that. In most cases, as far as I'm familiar with, they do. We can go to scripture as our baseline for truth and compare what we're hearing with what we're seeing, and it'll make a lot more sense. It'll add and inject a lot of clarity for us. And I love what you pointed out about just unpacking and learning more about the richness of the faith. Here at the Christian Emergency Alliance, we have some of our team members have spent many years working in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia, in Central Asia. And what you learn is, and honestly, what some of the missionaries that are serving in those areas just have the, they're just fortunate that they have this experience, but they get to really discover and dive deep into the richness of this faith, this faith that goes back 2,000 years um, you mentioned the Coptics, who uh, are right now are primarily headquartered all around Egypt, uh, but you'll see Coptic missionaries and Christians serving throughout the Arabic world. It's just a fascinating history. And honestly, to think of it as a white man's religion, is it's a very Western-centric view of the faith. I mean, you can go back throughout the centuries and find the Christian communities and all these countries, even Afghanistan, a, a country that we don't think of as Christian, you go back a thousand years and you'll find that there was bishoprics in all of this history. So it's fascinating, and we need to rediscover that and tap into that. But that's that's really helpful for us. I, I am curious. I mentioned the, the missionary perspective. We are very intense on getting the gospel message out to the peoples to not cowering during these strange days, but instead still advancing the gospel and supporting and sending out missionaries. How did CRT affect your work as a missionary in South Africa, if it did? I don't know that it did, but I'm just curious on that front. You know, that's a really good question. Um, I think I saw everything from the lens of, you know, if you're a person of, of color and, and everyone has color. So even that, you know, statement is, is a little weird. Um, but if you were a minority that you would have to always work twice as hard to get anything that a white person had, you know, going over to South Africa, I think a lot of things I saw or I approached from a stand that, well, you know, if it wasn't for the systems in place, these, you know, the people that I was working with would have different opportunities and things like that. And, you know, I don't know that I would do it from that position anymore. Um, It's, it's about choice. It is about choice. And when I take a step back and when I look at things through the biblical perspective or through the biblical lens, that is, what what we see in scripture that we have choice and a lot of 
a lot of our outcomes are based on our own choices. Even in, you know, situations where things could, you know, statistically be um, oppressive, we still have a choice in that matter and a choice in how we live our lives for Jesus. And yeah. so, I th- yeah, I think I would, I would do it a little different and promote a different conversation about choice instead of thinking that I needed to go over to help people understand that, you know, maybe like helping people to understand the situation that's happening to them, perhaps it would be more of a situation that they are participating in that is creating the current context that they're living in. Yeah. Reminding people of their agency, of their responsibility and their duty to faithfulness. There are a lot of scriptural examples where terrible things happen to some people and they still were able to act in ways that were faithful and, and honoring to God um, that carried out scriptural themes. So we also have that the, the Bible in that respect as well. Because I do see that in, in CRT. It almost strips people of their agency. It reduces them to, to victimhood that they're paralyzed by, that they cannot extricate themselves from. Is that is that your take as well? Yes. And I think that because it tribalizes people, it keeps you in the group. So now you can never move from the group. The only time technically you do move from the group is when your voice doesn't match the the alliance group you're associated with, unfortunately. Right. Which I imagine you're confronting right now. Is that true? Yeah, all the time. All the time. Yeah. Like I, I'm participating in whiteness or I don't you know, realize black oppression or things like that. And, you know, I, I could go through my, my history, you know, and growing up in South Los Angeles, I think I have a understanding of poverty and things like that. Just because I don't subscribe to the narrative, I am no longer black or I'm just a token or I'm being used by white people or brainwashed or, you know, the, the, the story could go on and on. Yeah, it's just so fascinating that it all holds together. It's it's a meta narrative that draws all this into to one clean teaching unless you depart from the dominant talking points, the dominant themes, and then something else happens, it breaks down and you're cast out. It, it's it's very interesting in that regards. I love the word that you use, the tribalization. It tribalizes people. And another term I would use is it balkanizes people. It's the balkanization of society. Uh, where people are just kind of broken up into their tribes, like you said. But now we're talking about the church. We're talking about the balkanization and the tribalization of the church. It's not like that there's different churches. There's one church. There's one body. There's one spiritual family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our identity. This teaching is departing from that and forcing us to, to look at one another, like you described, with suspicion. In any event, any decision that's made that affects me or anything, I always have to think, well, was I oppressive there or how was I oppressed in that circumstance? And it breeds that dissension and disunity. And It does. I completely agree. But I would also take it a step farther and say that it almost creates, and you know what, if I'm blunt, it does create opportunities for different scriptures, different gospels, different faiths in a certain context because of what what's called standpoint epistemology. You know, like saying that you have to have different people or different ethnicities, different experiences 
in order to come to a fuller and truer meaning of the scriptures themselves. Now that's something that's taken from critical race theory. So again, going back to my handy dandy little critical race theory and introduction book, one of the, the lines in it in the introduction says minority status, in other words, brings with it a presumed competence to speak about race and racism. Now, what I have seen happen in the church is that we apply that sentence to the understanding of scripture also to or to the understanding of oppression or marginalization. And scriptures that talk about oppression and marginalization, because you technically in the critical race theory world would not be considered marginalized or oppressed or the victim of racism, you would not be able to speak to certain scriptures. You would not be able to have the full understanding of what it means to be a victim of marginalization or oppression. And so I, as a woman who's Black, would be able to speak into that context in a way that you couldn't. But that is not what we see in scripture. That is not the way the church has traditionally understood the scriptures. Right. We, When we look at the scriptures, we look at what did the author mean and how would the original audience have understood that meaning? But that's not what we're doing today. Today, what we're doing is we're extrapolating meaning from the context or from the words of scripture based on my personal experience as an African-American woman. Just that in itself can create a different faith. It can create right. different understandings of scripture. Different truths. Different truths. And that is not how the church has historically done it. We will return to the podcast momentarily, but first, a word from our sponsor. Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast, like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe. That is the church. The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at christianemergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.christianemergency.com. And now, back to the show. Well, let me ask you this. How does critical race theory fall short in answering big social questions. How does it just fall short? You've already described some of it by extracting different truths and everything like that. But in so many respects, what I see is when it when somebody tries to apply CRT, it's not helpful. In fact, it usually only causes more problems and, and we get more ground down. Well, I think, first of all, we need to understand this is a man-made construct. So it's always going to fall short. I cannot uphold a sociology textbook above the word of God and say, okay, hey, you know, this is now going to fix all my problems. If we truly believe that the word of God gives us what we need for life and godliness, that is what I then rely on to one, define justice and injustice, and two, tell me how to remedy injustice and how to do justice. 
But what we're doing right now is we're taking this secular humanist framework that's really built on naturalism and saying, this is the way that we need to now treat one another. Says who? Who adjudicates that? Who says that this is good, true, and beautiful? Do I rely on the atheists to tell me what is good, true, and beautiful? Or do I rely on the words of scripture? Hmm. This is the problem. And it's going to be the problem no matter how you twist and turn critical race theory. Critical race theory, I can truly say, critical race theory can highlight things or overlap in some areas with the Christian faith, the Christian Mm -hmm. worldview. It has a concern for the poor. It has a concern for marginalized people. Hear me when I say I am not defining every Black person in America to be marginalized. What I am saying is that Christians in scripture have a mandate to speak up for the marginalized and the oppressed. So critical race theory is seeking to do that. However, if if it is not grounded and rooted in the scriptures, its definitions will always be off. It will always give me a framework that is short of the scriptures themselves. So it's going to fall short on every plane in my personal opinion. And I know people will say, well, you can extrapolate or you can take this and take that. If you just want to take bits and pieces of this framework to mold them together into something that you see as good, true, and beautiful, two things are problematic there. One, you've taken bits and pieces of a framework and you really don't have critical race theory anymore. One. Two, you now are defining what is good, true, and beautiful and you are not God. So it still produces, no matter how you pick it apart, it still produces something that is short of God's definition of justice. And as Christians, we have to make sure that we are extremely careful in how we do justice. Because if we as Christians are not careful how we do justice in serving a God who is just, we will oppress the very people that God has called us to do justice for. Yeah, yeah, things get weird fast. It's a deeply flawed worldview and ideology. And on top of what you just described, I would just put forward, it really leads people, and again, we're talking about Christians in the church, to judge the heart motives of others based off how they look, based off things that they can't change, based off things that they are no power to address. We're judging the heart motives. We're we're guessing that we know what's going on in the heart, and that's deeply problematic. It's deeply problematic. And, you know, I know that it that many people will say, well, it, it's judging white people and that's a problem and things like that. But it's not. It's, I mean, it is. It is. But it's also judging minorities. You know, it's saying that this is the bucket that they're in and they start off from this bucket. Well, not every black or brown person starts off as some poor, oppressed, you know, marginalized person, nor do they live their life out that way, nor does that mean that if even if they did start out poor or, you know, living life in, in means that are, you know, not optimal, that they can't change their station. Right. Yeah. Or that they don't have responsibility to participate in that. That's, you know, a big issue for me with critical race theory is that there's very little conversation in how people change stations. Um, And I know that, you know, proponents of critical race theory would say, well, you know, the framework isn't saying that white people can't be poor or that black people can't be rich. Again, we have to look at it in a nuanced way and say, well, what is, what's happening from the words of the, the framework to the action of the everyday? Because critical race theory, according to the book, the handbook, 
it is a movement and it's a movement meant to transform. Yeah. And so if it's a movement meant to transform, let's look at what, what the results are of that transformation. Yeah. It's an activist movement. And like you said, we have to look at the fruit of that tree. Is that good fruit or is that, is that fruit that we wouldn't want in parts of our churches? So well, let me ask you this. How deep do you think CRT has become embedded in the church itself? Oh, that's an ugly question. Um, I know. I'm kind of taking it to you. Yeah, we're not going to make no friends on this. Um, if people aren't careful, I would say, if, or if pastors especially aren't careful, it will sweep your church away. It will divide your church. Um, do I think that it's in every you know nook and cranny of every church across America? No, I don't think that. But do I think that it's coming? Because see, while critical race theory is a secular humanist framework, the problem, the true problem is that this is an ideology that raises itself up against the framework of God. Yeah. And so spiritually, is it looking to, to come into the church to bring division, to sweep people away into another gospel? Yes, it is. And I think that is what pastors and, and leaders need to be aware of. It's that this isn't just, you know, well, you know, some people, they uphold this and, um, you know, that's just kind of their worldview. They're just into the social justice. No, let's, let's understand our enemy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is what, you know, frameworks that are, pitted against Christianity do. They still kill and destroy. So I don't know either when I think about how deeply embedded all of that is into the church. It's very hard to guess. I would say it might be larger than most suspect, and we need to to have our eyes open to that possibility and just be prepared to give a defense for why we limit ourselves to the Scripture and what the Scripture supports um, rather than deviating to something new. Um, I think that that should be a principle. If you're teaching something fundamentally new all of a sudden, or you're hearing teachings that are fundamentally new, then sermons or Christian principles have been presented before. Uh, you should really think about that carefully. What's being taught? What's being piped in? What kind of fallout have you seen from CRT being imported into the church? Before I answer that question, I want to follow up on something you just said. Um, understanding or, or hearing something new. Well, some people would say that this isn't something new. This is actually just to rectify something that's old, racism. But what we don't do is we don't rectify an injustice with another injustice. So I'm not going to rectify old racism with new racism. I'm not going to rectify old partiality with new partiality. So Black people, and, and we can talk about this all day long, Black people have had a horrible, hard time in America. Like we have had some racial stuff happen in America and we can acknowledge that just the same way we can look at scripture and we can see Israel being a prize and a prostitute. America has had her issues. Absolutely. I don't, however, rectify the racism of the past with new racism just because America went off the rails in racism previously. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So that I wanted to make sure that that was clear because it, people grab on because it's like, well, it's not new. It's, it's actually here to rectify something that's, that's old. Well, we have to be wise, wise as serpents, because yes. truly it is, it's the same sin in, in a new handbag. Repackaged. Yeah. You know, I really like handbags. So yes. <laughs> um, but 
Now, what is the fallout that I see of critical race theory? It's important to understand that the critical social theories are really um, just the air that people breathe and the water that younger generations swim in. And so when you've been raised, and especially when you get into university and you're hit hard with it, you're, you're influenced and um, taught that if you do certain things, say certain things, that's racist, and you've bought into that, you going home and, you know, talking to your parents who are now 50 years old, and they say, well, I don't think I'm a racist, that's going to pit you against your parent. Because again, this is a movement. And in a movement, there are certain things I need to do to advance the movement. And so one of the things I'm seeing is parents and grandparents being completely shunned and canceled by younger generations. Mm. I'm seeing churches split. I'm having conversations with pastors who are saying, you know, all of these people just up and left my church. You can look at, um, there's a gentleman named Jamar Tisby. And he has a a podcast called The Witness. He's written a couple books, but he has a campaign called Leave Loud, where he's encouraging African-Americans to leave white evangelical spaces loudly to state your grievance and to go. And so this is definitely a movement. And the fallout from that is that we potentially will have a divided church, a completely divided church. Yeah. And it will not be divided necessarily on lines of race. It will be divided on lines of ideology. Yeah, uh, great point. All of those points were solid. And you mentioned Jamar Tisby and his Leave Loud campaign. I just want our listeners to pause and think of what's being advocated there. There's a, a movement to self-segregate the churches. Think about that. And that's being defined as progress, as progressive. This is not good. This is not biblical unity. This is not our call as Christians. Alarm bells should be ringing in everybody's head that that is not only being enacted right now, but celebrated in some quarters. So that is what's going on. Well, let me ask you, Monique, what advice would you offer to Christians who are concerned that their churches are starting to adopt a CRT worldview? You know, I would say find out more information about critical race theory. Don't just jump the gun and be like, oh, goodness, my pastor said the word whiteness. And now, you know, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. Many pastors are new to this as well. And so they are trying to navigate and and understand what's happening. And they have, I think, with good intent, may have read some of the wrong people have grabbed onto some language that's kind of falling out in the culture and picked that up and brought that into the church. I would say if you're concerned that your pastor or elder team are going down the critical race theory route, have a conversation first. That's the biblical stand. You go to them and you have a conversation first. Now, if they say, well, no, that's not my heart. I don't, I don't believe, I don't want to do that. Then, you know, you can say, well, you know, this is why I think that. And, you know, here are some resources. Give them the Center for Biblical Unity as a resource. If it continues, though, I would have more conversation. I would potentially, you know, instead of talking to one person, talk to the the, the elder board, bring this before others. And if it continues, then I might say, well, you know what, they might be... Um, 
more welcoming of the the critical theory or critical race theory idea than what they're letting on. And that's a problem. It really is because we don't want to conflate things like the critical social theories, critical race theory, critical um, feminist theory, and things like that with Jesus. That's a problem, you know, to say, well, Jesus upholds anti-racism. Jesus upholds the principles of whiteness, or, you know, he would speak out against whiteness and things like that. So yeah, I would just start by conversations and believing the best about people until they prove you otherwise. Right. And what you're describing is absolutely biblical. I like the the themes of grace and and charity and how we interpret what we hear and just going to clarify, because so often, I mean, this does seem to be an ideology bred to divide. And part of it is by queuing up arguments that may not, where there might be people that are on the same side of the issue, but they heard something and they seized on it. And you're right. If they, if they take it in the worst possible light, then that's just going like, to lead to fighting and division when there may be no problems at all. So just go hash it out, be gracious, and uh, just walk through that together. And, and hopefully you'll discover that you are not in a situation where they are really in bed with this ideology. Now, it does happen sometimes where you will encounter a Christian leader or a Christian who says, I reject critical race theory, and then you keep listening, and they'll use critical race theory terms and verbiage, and they'll adopt positions that align with critical race theory. What do you do in scenarios like that? I say much the same. I think that there are many Black pastors, especially, who are like, I am being accused of critical race theory. I didn't know what this was a year and a half ago. And I honestly believe them. I do think that, like I started out the podcast by saying, that sometimes this is just word on the street. This is just kind of the, the water in it, you know, that we've swam in and air that we've breathed and things like that. So it there isn't anything, you know, necessarily wrong with what we're saying or have said. And I don't think that people have thought through the words that they're saying in light of scripture a lot of times. And so with that, I I say, be gracious and say, hey, you know, have you, do you realize that these are the same words that are in line with critical race theory? And so, well, no, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Well, you know, can we talk more about that? Um, have you considered what this is in light of scripture? How do you, do you find this word in scripture or do you find the principles of this in scripture? You know, explain that to me. It's a, there's a nothing wrong with calling a pastor to the carpet. And I, and I think that pastor should be called to the carpet and, and to be able to give a defense for what they do. Like, I'm not saying go out and be disrespectful to your pastor or anything like that, but I am saying that as leaders, and I'm not a pastor or anything like that, I'm an associate. Um, with that. But as as a leader, I am a leader. I should be able to be held accountable for the words that I say. And in a way, you're almost encouraging them to be a Berean with you on this new topic that's coming up. Let's search the scriptures and see what it says. I want to double back real briefly. I asked a question like this just a moment ago, but I wanted to pivot a little bit. How deep do you think CRT has made its way into seminaries or missions agencies or other Christian institutions? You really not trying to win me no friends today. <laughs> um, so I honestly only know of a few seminaries that are actively pushing back against this. They, they saw that they were drifting into critical race theory and they actually turned their ship around. I know of two. 
um, Southern Evangelical Seminary, SES, is the only seminary that I know of that has an active statement against things like critical race theory and Black Lives Matter. Um, and yeah, so that, that's what I can say. I don't know of many others that have not adopted at least some form of one of the critical social theories, at least. You know, I can look at, I can, I can literally name schools and say, hey, this is where they've, you know, adopted this or this is where they've adopted that. But I think it's, it's deeply um, permeated yeah. our seminaries. And that's a problem because yeah. the people in seminaries today are going to be the pastors tomorrow. Yeah. And I'll say this. I, I am encouraged when I have conversations with lay people because it seems like a lot of lay people are discerning what's going on and they're starting to speak up. They don't seem to be as easily swayed on some of these topics that are being, I think, taught in other areas and institutions. But just because you're becoming more savvy to it, I still think that you need to be organizationally adept as well and think about how is this in my institution, my denomination, my church. Just think that through and and, and be clear-headed on that as well. So there's a lot going on, and, and it's asking a lot of congregants to just be as aware as they are and to be inquisitive, but... Um, I do think that it's playing out in more of the body than we realize. I'm going to put forward something here, or did you have something to say on that? No, I was just agreeing. I wanted to bring up real briefly the topic of syncretism. For any of our listeners who don't know the term, syncretism is a blending of different faiths. Um, So, for example, um, maybe with the best of intentions, a missionary in pick a country, Afghanistan— wants to make it easier for Muslims to come to faith. They will teach, they will preach perhaps a watered-down gospel and even go so far as to say something false, like, you know, there's parts of the Quran that are true. You can stay a Muslim. You can continue to tell everybody you're Muslim. You can continue to go in, in these religious festivals, but secretly pray. That's syncretism, and it's a blending of the faiths. It's not real Christianity, and it's no longer real Islam. Well, one of the interesting parts about this conversation with CRT is how many are pointing out that this is, in many ways, it has religious overtones. It looks like a religion, and that's been unpacked by others and cataloged, um, but it does seem to have some similarities with kind of a religious devotion, a religious faith, and a worldview that is different from Christianity. It arose in philosophical circles far removed from Christian teachings. Now, I'm wondering, and I'll put this to you, Monique, if what we're seeing, if that's true, if CRT is in some ways analogous to a religious faith, if some of the bad fruit that we're starting to see is the fruit of syncretism, an attempt to blend the worldview and the faith of Christianity, the truth of Christianity, with another worldview that leads to something that's very different. Oh, sigh, sigh. Um, You know, I don't talk very publicly about this just because I'm still in the middle of doing a lot of research on it. But yes, one, I do, I do believe that. I do think that the mixing is black liberation theology with historic Christianity and, you know, some of the philosophical movements and things like that. But I, I do believe that there is a, a mixing 
yeah, so you have like the philosophical end, you have this postmodern framework, you have a little bit of black liberation theology and looking at God as being a God of the oppressed, which is the name of one of James Cone's books, who's the father of black liberation theology. And then you have pieces of Christianity. And so looking at critical race theory as a religion, or if it was something for Christians to uphold, I would say syncretistically, it would be a mixing of Christianity, postmodernism, and the idea of my truth and the standpoint of epistemology that we talked about earlier and how we understand truth. And then Black liberation theology, where God is specifically on the side of the oppressed and the marginalized. And we need to, you know, do certain things to be able to understand the voices of the marginalized. Then we need to participate with them in, in certain ways to be able to lift them out of their oppression. Yeah, so I, I, I honestly think that it's a bit of a mixing of that. And yeah, I, I'll leave it there. Yeah. I, I sense so too. This is something that I'm just sounding out myself. But when I've seen secretism in play on the missions field, what I'm seeing here, the type of fruit that I'm seeing here coming out of churches that have embraced some of this, it reminds me of of similar developments. It just looks very similar to me. Um, so I'm still, like I said, gaming that out myself. One of the things that I was concerned about, because I, I've seen people, I've seen teachers, I've seen friends, Christians— who have started to go down this path, and they've started to embrace CRT teachings, uh, absorb the assumptions, because that's what's really dangerous, too, is these presuppositions, these assumptions that are built into that worldview. You can't just take like good little aspects of it and think that that's all I'm going to take out of critical race theory. I'll leave the bad stuff behind. There's these assumptions that you really can't strip away and get built in as well. But I've seen them start to go down this path and my concern was that it it was a co-opting force, that it essentially poisoned them spiritually. And I wasn't sure if people that started to walk down that path came out of it, which is why when I first heard about you and your your story and the fact that you were in it for years and you climbed down out of that, so I'm encouraged by hearing that, and I, I pray that as more people who are thinking, they're sympathetic because they hear these terms, Christians hear these terms like justice and righteousness and helping the oppressed. That's stuff that resonates with our heart because we're called, like you said, biblically to carry those out. But the way it's being used, the way it's been redefined by CRT is false and it's built off of what is not true. So my prayer is that those that are sympathetic and are starting to walk down that path can hear conversations like this or hear from you and or go and find resources at your center and they can come back out of that or for those that haven't even really encountered this before they can in a sense be inoculated to that potential by having conversations like this as somebody that has come out of it what is your take are you encouraged that many more will walk out of this that are starting to traipse in that direction or are you sensing that, no, by and large, if you start to drink this Kool-Aid, you're not coming out of it? What's your take? Um, you know, all things are possible. Um, you know, there is nothing impossible with God. And I do think that if you get your, your if it gets its clutches on you, it's hard to get out of. I, you know, the fact that 
I am on the other side of it is only by the grace of God. And it was hell literally to come out of it. It was, it was a, a total breakdown of my paradigm. It was many nights crying. It was being angry. It was, there was a lot, there were fights between me and my friends. Like it was a lot. And so to say like, well, you know, you can dabble in it for a little while or yeah, if you go down this road, like, sure, like you can come out. I do believe that you can come out, but it's hard. And I don't think that people understand that. And this is one of the reasons why I say we have to give grace because it's hard to come out. You will lose your friends. You potentially will lose your church and community. It's hard. And so, um, but, but I mean, is it impossible? No. It's not impossible. One of the things I don't think we realize is how often things like the critical social theories can lead people right into progressive Christianity. And that's a whole other kind of world all by itself. But, you know, I, I think it's possible to come out. I do. I know of people who've come out. I know of like Edwin Ramirez um, from The Proverbial Life or um, Carrie Smith from Unsafe Space they were deeply ingrained in CRT and, you know, have, have come out and they have awesome testimonies about that. And they will also say, but it's a fight. It's hard. You will find your mind wandering back and like, Oh, you know what? That's a CRT thought. You know, like I have to stand against that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think it's impossible, but it is very difficult. Well, with that topic of grace and almost a compassionate response, what would you say to Christians who have loved ones, maybe it's a, a child or a friend, who has gone woke? You mentioned being gracious. Is there anything else that you would advise them on? Pray. Yeah. Pray. Be patient and pray. And remember that God loves your kid or your loved one way more than you do. And that might be just a hard you know, blunt way to say it, but it's the reality. God is not wanting them to live their life antithetical to Christianity or antithetical to his scripture. And, you know, you used a good word. How do we inoculate people against this? The inoculation, especially of young people, comes in teaching them their identity in Christ, of teaching them a Christian and biblical worldview. So that when something comes that is not Christian, that does that is not um, in line with the Christian worldview, even if they can't articulate it, they'll be able to say, oh, you know what, that there's something off about that. Yeah. But we can't do that if, if we aren't taught a biblical worldview first. Right. I can't teach you critical race theory and then teach you the biblical worldview. No, you need to understand the biblical worldview so that when somebody bumps up against you, you understand, oh, that didn't feel right. That, right. that That's wrong. Which is why it's so important that we know the word that we're in the Word, and we're we're steeped in the Word, and that way we can recognize the authentic from that which is false. So absolutely, I totally agree. Well, Monique, could you tell us a little bit more about the Center for Biblical Unity and its primary goals or its aims? Yes. So the Center for Biblical Unity exists to have safe and sane conversations around race, justice, and unity. We have a family model. And so if you are a believer, you are family. We are family first, according to Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 2, 4, like, you know, things that talk about the dividing wall of hostility being broken, the fact that we are adopted. We are family, and that's the model that we uphold. Our mission statement is one race, one people, and one savior. 
we're coming out with curriculum at the end of July called Reconciled. And that curriculum will talk about our unity in Christ. You know, there are many people who would say in order for us to be reconciled as believers, black and white, white people need to do a bunch of things before reconciliation can occur. No, not true. We ontologically, supernaturally have a reconciliation that has occurred in Christ when we come into the household of faith, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and according to Ephesians and probably Colossians. There's a lot of places in the Bible that talk about this. So, you know, one of the things that we want to do is just break down that false ideology that you being a white man would have to do something for me to me or acknowledge, repent, something like that before we can have reconciliation. That is, that's completely false. We are reconciled. You are my brother and I am grateful for that. Now we can talk about how do we walk in unity according to Paul in Ephesians 4, you know, maintain the unity that we've been given. And so that's what this, it's a six-week curriculum. That's what this six-week curriculum talks about. How do we break down this idea of racial reconciliation and truly get into a family model of walking in unity with one another? You can order it on our website at centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash reconciled, or just go to centerforbiblicalunity.com. It's right there on the homepage. So get the curriculum, choose you know your eight to 10 people to do it in a small group with, or you can do it in a larger group and um, you know, do like a church license or something like that for for your small groups. I am so excited about that. I'm really excited to check out that curriculum, and we'll put all that information in our show notes. So go check that out. This is very important for your church, for your family, for yourselves. I can't tell you how thankful I am for voices such as yours. It's a context uh, that we desperately need to hear more of. So thank you so much for standing up and, and being a part of this conversation. If our listeners wanted to track you, find out more about your ministry and what you're up to, um, in addition to the material, the information you already provided, how can they go about doing that or supporting your ministry directly? You can find us on Facebook at Center for Biblical Unity. The same thing on Instagram, Center for Biblical Unity. Our website is centerforbiblicalunity.com. You can give directly through our website. All of our giving goes to support the ministry, to support our salaries, to support projects that we're working on, to further the the news of the gospel that what Jesus has accomplished is accomplished. Like there's no further work to be done for us to come into the the kingdom and the family of God and be brothers and sisters. So please um, support and help us to continue the mission of biblical unity, because that is truly what we what we need to be able to combat things like critical race theory. Amen. We're going to need a strengthened church for the pressures that are coming in the days that we're already confronting today. So on behalf of everybody at the Christian Emergency Alliance and our listeners, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you have blessed us richly, and we're excited to see what God does through your ministry in the days to come. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, Monique. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.